My let's keep it real people, are you in for a treat? I don't think there's a human alive that my next guest hasn't spent time with, or at least had a photograph with. So much fun. What an amazing journey. Incredible stories. Just an absolute pleasure to have as a guest. You are totally going to want to share this, like it, rate it. And as always, I'm so appreciative for all your support and subscribing. I don't know what I'd do without my Let's Keep It Real people. You always have my back. And thank you so much for sending me the most awesome clients and keynote gigs. Oof. All I have to say is enjoy. Toodles. This is Let's Keep It Real with Sandy Joy Weston, your weekly dose of positivity with awesome stories and guests from all over the world. It's an opportunity to learn some great new things and expand your mind. We'll tackle topics from all areas of life, and as always with Sandy, the sky's the limit. Hello, hello, my Let's Keep It Real people. Okay, I know, I've been driving you crazy. But I am so excited to have Clint Arthur on that I cannot believe you guys sent me overwhelming amount of questions. I'm not going to be able to get them in all of them, but I will do my best. And I want to make sure that you know the most important thing about this is this man has lived a full, happy joyful life. And you know, I love that. And when I saw the wisdom of the men book, I was like, oh my God, I got to bring this guy on. So I'm so excited. Let me tell you about him. Clint Arthur is the provocative truth-telling author of 21 best-selling books, including Celebrity Entrepreneurship, Breakthrough Your Upper Limits on TV, and his Pulitzer Prize nominated Life's Work Masterpiece, which I just told you about, Wisdom of the Men. As a speaker, Clint has shared the stage with, oh my goodness, I mean, the list goes on and on. Martha Stewart, Dr. Oz, Suzanne Summers, Caitlyn Jenner, Ice Teen. <laughs> and by the way, there's many more I saw on his website. And five presidents of the United States at Harvard, Cambridge, Oxford, London Stock Exchange, NASDAQ, Mercedes, Porsche, Coca-Cola, Microsoft, and the Royal Society of Medicine and AT&T. He lives in New York City, Los Angeles, and Acapulco, where he is right now with his wife, Allie and Nova, and their billion, I think it's peso puppy? Yeah, Nova is the billion peso puppy. Oh my God. That's how much that dog has wrapped up in veterinary bills, okay? <laughs> All right, let's just start right into it. You get to pick one word to best describe your past 30 days, whatever it is. And why? Real, baby, real. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we haven't had that word ever, so tell me why. 30 days. I, look, I'm keeping it real. I always keep it real. I'm the real thing, and everything I do is real. And I wanted to create an opportunity for my clients to have celebrity experiences in their lives so that they could become more of the celebrities that they want to be and that they need to be 
If you want to be somebody special in the eyes of your customers and prospects, if you want to sell more books, tickets to seminars, get more speaking gigs, higher fees, better clients, if you want all of that, you need to be a celebrity in the eyes of customers and prospects. And in the last 30 days, I've had events with Dr. Oz, where I had a whole bunch of my clients getting to share the stage with Dr. Oz. I've had events at my celebrity villas in Acapulco. And my wife and I were talking about, we see what happened was we used to come to Acapulco on vacations. And Mm -hmm. I I mean, the first time I came here on vacation, I was just in my early 20s and my girlfriend's father had produced a movie that you might've heard of called Platoon. It won the best picture (laughs) awards. Uh, You know, a little bit. Then he went on and produced Falling Down, The Fugitive, Devil's Advocate, Seven with Brad Pitt, the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's movie Eraser, $100 million movie for for Warner Brothers. This guy was the king of Hollywood and no one's ever heard of him. His name was Arnold Kobelson and he sold $3 billion worth of movie tickets. Mm-hmm. And to me, that epitomizes celebrity entrepreneurship because no one knows who he is except for his clients and prospects, which, yeah, which yeah. were the movie studio heads, the movie stars themselves, their agents and managers. So anyway, they, they took me here on a vacation when I was in my early 20s. And I didn't come back for many, many, many decades uh, until until (laughs) one of my students. Yeah, really many decades. One of my students calls me up one day and says, hey, bestie, do me a favor and don't text me for the next couple of weeks because I'm going to be in Costa Rica on a free surfing trip. And I said, how did you get that? And she said, well, I'm going to be on TV in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I told this resort in Costa Rica that I would promote them on TV in America if they gave me a free surfing vacation. And so I have two weeks in a suite. And I thought, wow, I wonder if I could do that. And, you know, at that point, I had been going on TV. I think, let's see, I had had probably 50 appearances. And I booked myself on some shows. And I remembered this place in Acapulco where I had gone with the movie producer and his family. And I arranged to get a free vacation at a hotel in that same area in exchange for promoting Mm -hmm. the hotel on TV. So then we used to come here for many years, my wife and I, on vacations. This was our favorite place. We'd just come, stay in the suite. We had our own pool, order room service. Everybody was happy. And then the pandemic came. And I said, hey, do you want to go back to New York City to quarantine on the 13th floor of our apartment building for two weeks? Or do you want to go to LA and stay in one of our lofts? Or do you want to rent a house in Florida or Arizona where we don't know anybody? Or do you want to just go to our favorite resort and have a vacation? Obviously, we kept it real and did the smart thing and came down for the vacation. And, you know, that turned into four and a half months living in different villas. And then we bought one and while we were while we were coming here on vacations one time somebody invited us to their friend's villa like we like i was getting these free vacations from the hotels and they were giving me the presidential suite so we brought some friends with us and this friend owned corbell champagne and he brought us over to his friend's villa in the same area where i went with the movie studio producer all those many years ago and this lady had this amazing thing and my wife and I were talking about remember when we went to our first 
party at our first villa that we visited here and how we thought those people were so rich and fantastic and we had never been waited on like that with servants and a chef and and that's that's what we do for our clients now because we have a villa with a butler and a gourmet chef and and unbelievable views and amazing food and no walls no walls no windows just open air living keeping it real in acapulco well i know the number one question that i got from people and you must hear this all the time how clint arthur how you know i when i reached out to my peeps and said okay what do you want to ask them they're like okay we get this unbelievable life but did he the number one question was did he always have that confidence in himself mm. that was the biggest question like because i you know my my listeners are all about making a positive difference and believing in yourself and putting yourself out there so they're like okay this seems surreal to us and take us back that's you know, a fantastic he- question it really truly is because look I was a golden child. I, you know, I was the star of every play and I, and I got into my first choice college. I applied to one college, got in early decision. That was the Wharton Business School. And after graduating from Wharton Business School, I go home to get the attaboys. And instead of hugs and kisses, my parents get into the biggest argument of all time. And my dad storms out of the house and slams the door. I'm sitting on the couch behind, in the living room in the wake of all of that and I turn to my mom and I go you know mom the way he resents you all these years have you been cheating on dad and I'm thinking to myself holy cow where did that question come from I never even Uh, thought that idea in my whole entire life I was just being a smart aleck and then I'm thinking what kind of smart aleck kid asks his mom a question like that that's the rudest thing I ever said and then I'm thinking why ain't she answering the question and then she says he's not your real father your real father was a gorgeous French hunk doctor Oh God! At the fertility clinic we went to for six years, trying to have you, and you look just like that guy. Say oh what? my God! Say what, Mama? <laughs> well, that was a fine howdy do after graduation. So not only do I not know who I am anymore, I certainly didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up anymore. So Monday morning comes, I call up the vice president of the investment bank on the 87th floor of number one World Trade Center. And I say, sir, thank you very much for the offer. Despite the fact that every graduating senior from the Wharton Business School is dreaming of the job that you offered me, I've decided I don't want to be an investment banker anymore. And what did I do? Naturally, I ran off to Hollywood. And I started going on auditions and writing screenplays. I wrote, I wrote 30 screenplays, my dear. 30 feature film screenplays. And I chased that dream for 13 years. And that takes us all the way through the New Year's Eve of the millennium, were you getting Y2K cash out of an ATM? Were you partying with family and friends? I was behind the wheel of yellow cab number 6087. And in the backseat of my cab that night were two MBA interns at Goldman Sachs. And I'm listening in on their conversation. Hey man, did you hear about Mr. Carrera? They made him the last partner right before the Goldman IPO and he cashed out a gazillion dollars. And I'm like, are you guys talking about Chris Carrera? How do you know Mr. Carrera? Chris Carrera was a pledge in my fraternity when I was at the Wharton Business School. And I, when I was the pledge master, yeah. I used to make those little punks dance around the living room of our house with their tidy whities on top of their heads. And now this little punk cashed out a gazillion dollars. I go home, I pull my money out of my sock where I used to stash it so I wouldn't get robbed. 
$513. I was supposed to be somebody special like Chris Carrero. What was he doing tonight? Partying at the Rainbow Room. I'm driving a freaking cab. I can't do this anymore. So did I always have that confidence? Lady, I spent 13 years chasing the Hollywood dream because I thought if Arnold Copelson could make it, I could make it. And I was deluded. And by the end of that 13 years, I had no confidence because I had been told one million times, you suck, you're a piece of crap. You're not a good actor, you're too old, you're kidding yourself, you're dreaming, you're deluded, and I was deluded because you can't make it in Hollywood unless you're somebody's little pet. See what I mean? And I was nobody's little pet. I was the Wharton Business School taxi driver of yellow cab number 6087. And I, I had to rebuild myself and I did it through self-help work. I did every kind of seminar you could do, including Toltec Wisdom Studies with Don Miguel Ruiz himself, author of The Four Agreements. I did men's power circles and ceremonies. Mm. I walked on fire with Tony Robbins. Tony I did, Robbins. I did everything. I knew you were going to say that, yeah. And, and you think Tony Robbins is somebody special, right? I mean, I love the dude. I really do. I love the dude, too. There's no, no disrespect intended, but I'm just trying to point out, I, I could play you countless videos, countless videos where I ask Starbucks baristas and CVS, uh, CVS store shelf stockers, do you know who Tony Robbins is? And they say, Tony who? Yeah, no, you're right, you're right, you're right. Now, Tony Robbins, everybody thinks, and, and here's, here's one of them, here. You know who Tony Robbins is? Yeah. I showed you his picture, you recognize him? Yeah. You thought you knew who he was, right? You have no idea. No, I actually don't. I thought he was an actor. He's not an actor. No. No. Okay. Okay. I could show you plenty of videos like yeah, that. Yeah. No, no, I agree. I agree. He's yeah. a celebrity I, yeah. entrepreneur. See? Yeah. His customers yeah. and prospects think that he's somebody worthy of a lot of money, and I happily paid him a lot of money. Yeah. In fact, yeah. I got an email from, and this, is, this just shows you how grateful I am and how my life has transformed, because I'm telling you, I couldn't get arrested in Hollywood. I couldn't do anything right, except when they pulled me over for DUI, of course. And I, I, I had no confidence when I finished those 13 years and I had to rebuild myself and that was through self-help. And I knew luckily that I was the problem and I had to change me. And mm -hmm. you know, 20 years later, here's the good news. You can do a whole lot of stuff. In 10 years, in 20 years, 20 years later, I get an email from Tony Robbins' team. It says, hey, if you donate $25,000, this was a little more than one year ago. If you donate $25,000 to Tony's favorite charity, you can be the host of his 60th birthday party at the Microsoft Theater in Los Angeles. And it took me one minute to complete that transaction. And when I saw him at the birthday party that night, I told him, Tony, mm. when I was a taxi driver, I couldn't even afford to get the CDs, I had to buy the cassette tapes of yeah, yeah. Personal Power 2. And today I was sitting in the front row and he goes, I'm so happy for you, brother. I'm so glad it worked out. And I said, what's the most important thing you ever learned, Tony? And he said, life is happening for us. Yeah. So was I always this confident? No, I wasn't. But I, I you know, you gotta tear it down before you can build it back better. <laughs> you know, Claire, do you have a, a one-man show? Because I want to go to your one-man show. I mean, like, 
you're so entertaining. I'm regretting that I didn't send you a Zoom. Look, I love this because it's got great audio, but this is like, you know, a show in itself, you know? I love the, such a great story. You do a lot of keynote speaking, right? I've spoken all over the world. Yeah. I can believe it. It's just amazing. It's amazing how you tell your stories. And I want to get into that because that was the second question that I got. Like, did you take, did he take a course in storytelling or did it, he just develop it naturally? Oh, I didn't take a course in storytelling. I've studied with the world's greatest storytellers. You can't, you don't, there's no such thing as a natural born anything. Everything has to be developed. I, people, like I had this little millennial punk on a, on some kind of live stream I was a guest speaker on and he goes, you know, like if I just keep working and at my craft and the things that I'm passionate about, will, will success just come? And I said, nothing has ever come for me. I have had to yeah. bust yeah. my butt and, and grab and scratch and claw to get every single thing that I've ever gotten because nothing comes easy for me. I, when, now I, look, I was very fortunate when I was a little kid. I went to this amazing high school in New York City called Stuyvesant High School. You had to take an entrance exam to get in. And mm -hmm. I was offered the opportunity to take an elective called creative writing. And I did. The professor, it wasn't a professor, the teacher was this rumpled, tired guy from Brooklyn Heights named Frank McCourt. And he used to drag himself in every morning to class and we loved him because he just told stories about his yeah. impoverished childhood in Ireland. Those stories went on to become his Pulitzer Prize winning memoir, Angela's Ashes, which made him rich and famous around the world. Now, I didn't know that he was going to be the Pulitzer Prize winning author at that time. He didn't know it. He was just yeah. a high school teacher in, teaching English. And he was my first great mentor and I would say that probably the way I learned the most from him was by reading and listening to his memoir over and over again a decade or more after I had graduated from high school once he had won the Pulitzer Prize and I used to be on my boat listening to the to no reading there was no audios in those days I was just reading his book by my flashlight and thinking if Frank McCourt could make it I could make it and again I was severely deluded so he's one of my storytelling mentors Arnold Culberson yeah. who made all those movies it's the producer's movie whatever you may believe the producer hires the writer the director the actors it's his movie he was my second yeah. great storytelling mentor and then I would say Oprah Winfrey is my third great storytelling mentor. You know, here's the Oprah Winfrey story in a nutshell. My parents met as teenagers and they encountered them, they, they encountered each other one time under an oak tree. And from that one meeting, I was born. And when you think about how Oprah Winfrey was the result of a chance meeting of two teenagers under an oak tree, yeah. Makes you have a whole different perspective on Roe versus Wade. <laughs> oh, God. And everything. Oh God. And everything. Yeah. You know, I'm so glad that you mentioned that you work on your craft because I just happened to finish a course. Uh, it's called Heroic Public Speaking. It was a seven-month course to up your keynotes. And everyone's like, Sandy, you already do keynotes. I'm like, are you kidding me? I go, 
I want to up it to the next level, work on my craft. And it was a lot of money and a lot of time, but man, was it worth it. And I feel like I'm still scratching the surface, Clint, you know, because you got to work. It just doesn't like, oh, I just show up there and just start spieling. I did that class. You I did? did? I did Sean Stevenson's class three times. I did yeah. I did heroic public speaking with Michael Port and Amy Port. I did, I've studied with four. Wow, I didn't know that. I've studied with four Hall of Fame, NSA Hall of Fame members, okay? Anytime I have an opportunity to study with a great speaker, I study. And what I've found is that the Hall of Fame speakers have seven stories, seven great stories. If you can have seven great stories, then mm. you're Hall of Fame caliber. Not just good, but great. Yeah, yeah. Great, yeah. great, great, great stories. Look, I told you, I have, I am a student above all. I've yeah. known every, my saving grace, the way I've come back from oblivion at, to, to having a life of luxury and celebrity that most people would envy. And I'm grateful for every single day. The way I've done it is by self-improvement. And when I find people who are truly great, I pull out my credit card and I sign up. <laughs> That's what I do. I am the same way. I, I can't learn enough. And by the way, one of my favorite things, and I've been hosting podcasts now for 10 years, Clint, is I've learned so much from everyone. It's like, oh my God, I learned so much. And what struck me about you, by the way, of all the stuff that you've said, I love the line and I've highlighted it and I put it everywhere. When it's scary is when it's great. When I was on the Today Show, Brooke Shields said to me, you know, you talk a lot about being comfortable outside of your comfort zone. I said, yeah, life begins where your comfort zone ends. She said, that sounds scary. I said, when it's scary is when it's great. Now, I had never said that before. I had never even thought about it before. But I advise my clients, when you go on TV, you have to prepare as much as you can. And then when you're on TV, you have to speak from your true place of knowing. You just need to talk. Now, it, when I was on the Today Show, this is one of the scariest things I've ever done. The scariest thing I've ever done was stand-up comedy at Caroline's Comedy Club on Broadway. Oh, yeah. That was oh, the yeah. most scary thing I've ever done. But this yeah. probably the second most scary thing I've ever done was going on the Today Show. There's a thousand lights in the ceiling. There's ten cameras, and a hundred people watching, crammed into this tiny little studio in Rockefeller Center at Thirty Rock. And I, when I watched the video back, I, I had no re, no memory of anything I said when I was in the moment. I was just talking in the moment. But when I watched it back, that line really stood out for me. And you know, when we came down here for the pandemic. Acapulco when we were about to move out of the hotel you know I heard the announcement by the US State Department recommends all Americans traveling abroad return to America and that's when I rented the first villa for for a month <laughs> yeah because if they're telling everybody to come home I'm gonna do the opposite of whatever the government is telling me to do and the night before we were gonna move into this villa Man, I was so freaked out and scared. I was thinking to myself, oh my God, the villa doesn't even have a front door. You just walk up the steps and you're in the outdoor living room and dining room. There's no front door. There's these little sliding padlocks on the doors like you would keep a cabinet yeah. closed. That's what they, that was yeah. the security. I looked up on the internet, can you buy a gun in Mexico? No, <laughs> many hunters from America have learned the hard way. You can't have a gun in Mexico. Unless you have a special permit from the army, they put you in Mexican prisons where bad things happen to good people. And I had to 
really suck it up because if I could have got a refund for that month, I would have, but I couldn't. So we show up the next day and walk into the first villa and we see the view in our private pool, which is like five times larger than the one we had at the hotel for ourselves. And, and our cook and our maid and our, you know, the lawn for the dog to run around. And we looked at each other and said, how come we've been staying in that dumpy hotel all these years? Why didn't we do this sooner? Mm. And then we fast forward about six months from there and I'm sitting across the table from the guy who's gonna sell me the villa and I'm writing the check out of my checking account for the cost of the villa. That was the biggest check I've ever personally written. That was a lot of money. That was scary, see? Yeah. And yeah. my point is, is that when it's scary is when it's great. When, if you think renting a villa in Mexico is scary, wait till you try buying a villa in Mexico. That's really scary. And the scarier the stuff is, the more exciting it is and the more, see, here's where it all comes down to. My favorite quote is from General George S. Patton. Accept the challenges so that you can feel the exhilaration of victory. See? And what happens is when, when you are a little kid, Daddy, Daddy, the boogeyman is in my closet. And your dad comes in and turns on the light and shows you the boogeyman is just a coat hanging on a hanger with the light shining through the window in a weird shadowy way. When you turn on the light, the boogeyman goes away. Most fears are just the boogeyman. And when you turn on the light and see that it's just a coat, there's an exhilaration there because, you know, my book, my life's work masterpiece is called Wisdom of the Men. And it comes from my experiences. It, it, it doesn't, it's not all about the experiences, but it originates from my experiences working in men's self-help teams in California, where I learned how to be a leader and I learned really how to be a man. And... We have a saying amongst the men, fear unconfronted becomes doubt and doubt kills the warrior. And that's why fear is so great because 99% of all fear is just the boogeyman. And when all you do is turn on the light, you see the boogeyman is just a coat on a hanger. You've confronted the fear, you've erased the doubt and you have survived the battle and that surviving the battle is what creates the exhilaration of victory. So I got to ask the third top question because I want to make sure I just get in the three top ones. And that is, they want to know, what is your daily routine that you do to stay in that powerful mindset? Is there anything that you do every day to help you and remind you, you know, to overcome the fear? You know, I don't have a daily routine, but I would say at all, not at all. And, and I never set an alarm. You know, my three words that I lead my life by are freedom, power, and adventure. Freedom to do anything I want, the power yeah. to make it happen, and the adventure is what I'm looking for every day. I never have the same day twice, but the thing that I do the most is interviews, podcasts, radio, television, whatever. I, I do a lot of speaking and I think that speaking is what is the key to everything because these days I write my books by talking, having the transcripts edited, and then I take it from there mm -hmm. to make it into a book. And all the interviews are about speaking and 
speaking is what helps me to stay grateful for what I'm doing, for what I have. And it also helps me to understand my own story. See, I believe that the meaning of your life comes from understanding the meaning of your life stories. And if you, if you tell, the only way to understand your stories is to tell your stories yeah. over yeah. and over and over. That's why, look, I, you know, as much as I love the audience, I'm going to say something that no other speaker trainer is ever going to tell you, and that is screw the audience. I don't care about the audience. You know what I care about? I care about telling my stories so that I can understand my own stories better. That's really all I'm trying to accomplish in these interviews is to understand my own life stories better because if that's all I get is a little bit more, like 1% more understanding of my life stories, then I win no matter what. Whether you, whether anybody buys, whether anybody has a good time, whether anybody even finishes listening, you know, I, I think you would be smart to finish listening this, uh, this audio, but, <laughs> but it really it. doesn't matter to me because I'm understanding me better. Ah, you know, Clint, that's given me a lot to think about because yes, I believe you want to be inspired by your stories, but my training has been you're there to serve the audience, which is what you said. It's completely opposite of what you're going to hear. That's right. And look, I take the same seminars with trainers over and over and over and over and over. Okay, the best ones, the ones who I've invested the most money with, they tell yeah. the same stories over and over and over. Oh, they do. They o do. Over and over and over and over the same exact story. So is that them caring about the audience or is that them working on their craft? And for me, as a high-level speaker, I don't really care about anything other than observing masters at work. By observing the master mm -hmm. at work, that's how I'm really learning. Yeah. Yeah. Woo! A lot of my speakers, when we air them, are going to be like sending in, sending in all the different questions. But hold on, people. Hold on, people. All right. So back it up a bit. How long did it take you to write Wisdom of the Myth? Well, after I was at this one conference by one of my top mentors, Dan Kennedy, and I said to my wife, you know, Dan Kennedy is a living legend. We should do a conference with just guys like Dan Kennedy and have them be the speakers and I'll just be the MC. And she goes, oh, I love that idea. <laughs> then I'm doing my, one of my classes that I teach called The Income Doubler, where you're reprogramming your subconscious mind to believe that you deserve to earn twice as much money. And it's an amazing experience. And I'm Ooh. like writing- Oh, I love that. Uh, it's amazing, I've done it four times. <laughs> It's a lot of work. You have I'm to sure. you got to write the mantra, you know, reprogramming your mind by writing a mantra over and over and over like 20 times a day for 180 days. It's a lot of work. And wow. if you miss a day, wow. if you miss a day, you have to start all over again. Ah, oh, it's oh God. just brutal. Yeah. And I'm writing my mantras one day and I write down this idea, you can't get a diamond without pressure. And I'd been okay. thinking about hosting my conference, hosting a conference. I wanted to be a speaker at Carnegie Hall. I wanted to be a speaker on the same stage as Albert Einstein and Franklin mm -hmm. Delano Roosevelt and Teddy Roosevelt and Mark Twain. And I thought, wow, should I host the living legends of entrepreneurial marketing at Carnegie Hall? The, this, the theater I need is 500 plus seats. 
and nobody's going to help me sell those tickets. I had many people tell me, oh yeah, Clint, I'm so honored that you would invite me to be a speaker at your conference. I'd love to promote that conference. There's no way I can imagine not putting at least a couple hundred butts in seats for that one and then selling two tickets, two, instead of 200 because no one will help you do anything. No one will help you. And I knew it was going to be a lot of pressure. And I started enrolling speakers for that. That's where I got Martha Stewart to be a speaker at my conference. Yeah. And that's where I got Ice-T to be a speaker at my conference. And Oof. Michael Gerber, who wrote The E-Myth. Yeah. Uh, Scorpion, who inspired the TV series on CBS. And what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> I, if you just remind me, I know, I, know I'm, I was going in the right direction. You know, you are. We were talking about wisdom of the men and how long it. Oh yes, yes, yes. Okay. To write it after yeah. this conference, I took my wife. I mean, so so look, I sold all the tickets myself. Yeah. I hired all these people. I laid out all this money. I took my wife on a celebratory tour of Europe after this was over, and the first place we landed was Venice, Italy, Woo. and we take. A, a water taxi into Venice, Italy, and we're cruising up the Grand Canal at midnight. And I see all the lights on the water, and I'm taking, I took the most amazing pictures with my brand new iPhone 12 Pro Max. Yeah. And we get to the Hotel Daniele, which is now my favorite hotel in the world. And I said, as soon as we got there, like we go and we walk around in San Marco Square in, in the middle of the night. and. I'm like, oh man, if I could spend enough time here, I could write Wisdom of the Men because I had been preparing to write Wisdom of the Men. I, I came up with the idea, I'm gonna write a book about the smartest things I learned from the smartest men that I've met in my life because of my background in the men's self-help movement. And yeah, yeah. that's gonna be called Wisdom of the Men. And I came up with that idea in 2014 and here we were in 2019 and I still hadn't written it. And usually I write my books, like I get the idea and boom, there's a book within a month, usually. But this one had been percolating for all these years. And I said to Allie, man, if I could spend enough time in Venice, I could do justice to wisdom of the men because of the beauty of the city, the ingenuity of building it out of the lagoons, the genius of the architecture, all of that was so inspirational to me. So we went back, it took two years almost before I could get back to Venice because of la pandemia. I, I, I couldn't go back to Italy, right? But as soon as it was open, we went back and we stayed at the Hotel Daniele for two weeks on points. Thank you, Marriott. And had a beautiful suite there. And I wrote The Wisdom of the Men. After it percolated for seven years, I wrote it in 10 days. Wow. 10 days. Tendies. See, I'm a man on a mission. I, I knew <laughs> I had a list of, see, I may, here's how I write. I make a list of the topics. Now, in this okay. case, my list of topics sounded like this. Dr. Oz, the most interesting man in the world. Nicolas Cage, Tommy Lee Jones, George Clooney. See, these were, Ed Asner, these were the men that I had met along the way who I learned things from. Mm. And I made the list of all the men 
And once I, I wrote down the name, I knew the stories because I tell my stories. I know how to tell stories and I tell stories all the time and I knew what the stories were that I wanted to tell. So I just made a list of all the names and I had like 45 names on the list and I wrote this book in 10 days by just going through the list of names and crossing them off one by one. I would tell four to five stories a day and that's how you tell 45 stories in 10 days. Wow. I love that. I love that. And I love the way it's just a simple outline. It wasn't complicated. It's really easy to write if you know what you want to write. Yeah. That's the hard part is knowing what you want to write. That's the hard part. But that's why, you know, is there something that I do? This is about confidence, right? This Everything in life is about confidence. When I was on Fox Business Channel, I said, selling is a transference of confidence. Where did that come from? I don't know. Just me speaking out of my true place of knowing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And everything in life comes down to confidence. Well, what do I do that gives me my confidence and power that I do every day? Speaking, doing interviews, yeah. podcasts, yeah. radio, television, yeah. on stages, yeah. knowing what I want to say. And how do I know what I want to say? By saying it over and over and over and understanding it more and more and more. That's why I love teaching my seminars on storytelling, which I do at the Villa in Acapulco if people want to come. If you want to come to the villa and learn storytelling with me, that's possible. If you want to come and learn how to have more impact, influence, and income, that's another seminar that I love, Impact, Influence, and Income Mastery. I just did one which was really great. It was called Seven Figure Seminar Secrets Revealed, where I taught my top-level students who paid $10,000 each how to have your own seminars where you can make seven figures from teaching other people what you know. That was a great one. And it's in Acapulco. Yeah. You know, look, I've done a lot of events all around the world, and I'm just sick and tired of governments saying, no, these facilities have to be closed, or you can't go in unless you have certain paperwork, which is not going to allow a lot of people to go in. And I I want more control of my own destiny. That's why the villa we bought is... um, more than 18,000 square feet of construction. It sleeps oh. 16 people, has a giant swimming pool, a huge gourmet kitchen with a gourmet chef and a butler. And, oh. and we do 15, 16 person seminars at the villa. And when mm. people are paying $10,000 a piece, most of my events are between five and $10,000, but it includes room and board. At the villa, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get yeah. a week, you get a week in luxury vacation, and you get the training at the same time. Yeah. I think it's a compelling value. I think it's an overwhelming. I, value. I think it's reasonable, actually. Yeah, it really is. You know, it's not yeah. cheap, but yeah. if you yeah. compare it to everything else on the marketplace, yeah. it's a bargain compared to yeah. what you can get from anyone else. And that's why our seminars are sold out all the time, and that's why we just did. You know, I was keeping it real. We just basically did a month of seminars here. Oh. Yeah. Because I was going to ask you, how often are you doing them? The next stuff coming up is October of 2022. I only have a few places left in that class. Um, Then after that will be January of 2023. I don't want to work too hard anymore. (laughs) You know, what's the point? No, I'm not. I, I I don't need the money. 
I don't need the money. I do it yeah. because it keeps me sharp as a storyteller. It helps yeah. my clients who I care about every... We are creating a community. My wife and I are creating a community of celebrity entrepreneurs because everybody knows celebrities hang out with other celebrities. And the more celebrities we have in our world, the rising tide lifts all ships. So you work with your wife. I did not know that. You two do this together? Yeah. My wife was a Hollywood producer. She produced oh. many things, including the Mortal Kombat series um, of movies and television shows. And she produced a lot of visual effects over the years. I mean, she has worked as a high-level visual effects producer for every big-name producer and director in Hollywood, including James mm -hmm. Cameron, Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, Ar um, Oliver Stone, everyone, and worked with every major celebrity, too, including Keanu Reeves and Sir Anthony Hopkins and Arnold Schwarzenegger and everybody. Tony, she calls him Tony, not Anthony Hopkins, Tony. So uh, she, you know, her frustration was most of her work was blowing shit up. Yeah. That's how the way she refers to it. And now the work we do is we are changing the world one messenger at a time, helping people to get your story out and have yeah. more impact, influence, and income. So she, oh she produces yeah. the live events as well as the videos. A lot of the events we do include videos for the clients. So, for example, yeah. Yeah. now she teaches her own seminar called Share Your Gifts, which a lot of people really enjoy. because Ooh, I love that title. Yeah, yeah. You come to the villa. There's a bunch of training from her, and then you basically do your own seminar for 45 or 60 minutes, and she produces a video of you doing your seminar with our little audience of 12 to 15 people, and mm. it looks fantastic, and it's a lot of fun, and people learn a lot, and also benefit from everybody else's gifts, because, yeah, yeah I mean, whoever these people are, doctors, Pilates instructors, chefs, all kinds of people share their gift with you. And when it's over, you leave with a video of you sharing your gift in front of a live audience. You leave with testimonials from satisfied clients who attended your mm -hmm. seminar. And you also leave as a better speaker, presenter, and performer on video, having worked with one of Hollywood's top producers, Ali. Oh, my God. Oh, oh, my God. I just love this. I freaking love it. All right. Time is wrapping up here, but I have to ask you, can you just share one of your stories and wisdom of the men? Just pick one person you could tell us a little bit about. Robert Downey Jr. and I went to junior high school together. I mean, I've had a crazy life. I really have. <laughs> I was the star of West Side Story. I played Tony. And he was the star of the other play in the junior high school, which was Hair. Ugh. And ah. we became friends because we were both stars of the play. And one day, we go to see his dad's movie, Putney Swope. His dad, Robert Downey Sr., was a movie director of art films, art house films. Uh -huh. So we go down to Greenwich Village. And we watched the movie. I don't remember anything about the movie. But afterwards, we went to go get a falafel sandwich. And on the way to the falafel shop, he ducks into a candy store and comes out a minute later and pulls a Marlboro cigarette out of a brand new pack and lights it up, takes a puff, holds the package up next to his face and crushes the whole package of cigarettes 
right in front of my eyes and my eyes are like bugging out because I had never seen a 13 year old kid smoke a cigarette and I never <laughs> seen anybody crush a brand new package of cigarettes and throw them on the oh, ground. God. And he goes, I just wanted one. <laughs> now that shows you his willpower, uh, right? Yeah, but yeah. everybody knows Robert Downey Jr.'s willpower kind of ran out when he started getting in trouble with the law for all of his drug use and yeah. went to jail. Yeah. And then he comes out and he had a hard time getting hired as, a, as an actor because of his drug use. But this one lady gave him a break and hired him onto a movie that she produced. And her name was Susan Levine. Now, I told you Allie was a producer in Hollywood. She was running a pretty substantial production company. And Susan Levine was the development girl. The development girls in, in these companies, they're the ones who read the scripts and tell the screenwriters like me, your script sucks. That's the, that's the job yeah. of the development girl. Yeah. Yeah. After she left Ali's company, she went on to produce a bunch of movies and hired Robert Downey Jr. And then they got married and she became his rocket ride. She's uh. the one who drove him. You see, she is the one who turned him into Sherlock Holmes and Iron Man mm. and produced all the movies. And the lesson of Robert Downey Jr.'s story is that you need to be sleeping with the right person. When I, it, it's re it really is true. And it's not from the slimy Hollywood way that I'm trying, that, that people would think. It's really about when you wake up in the middle of the night and you say, hey, are you awake? Yeah, hey, I had this idea. And then you tell the idea. Yeah. I've had clients who tell me, yeah, my girlfriend, she's always giving me a hard time because I'm going on business trips and We've been together for seven years and she says I don't spend enough time with her, with her daughters. I'm too busy working on my business. And you see, that's the wrong kind of person to be sleeping with every night. Yeah. You need the kind of person uh, like Allie who when I say I want to do a conference like the Living Legends of Entrepreneurial Marketing with guys like Dan Kennedy as the speakers. Oh, I love that. See, yeah. you yeah. need to be with sleeping with the right person so if you true. want to achieve the goals that you are dreaming of. Ah, oh, I love that. I freaking love that. So Clint, all these movie stars and celebrities, are they anything like the persona we see them as? Like, are they, you know, are they just characters and they're totally different humans, most of them? I guess it's an individual question. Yeah, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, are they, you know, you see them on screen and you're like, okay, is that what they're really like in person? Or are they totally different? Most of them. It really depends on the actor because, you know, a guy like Tommy Lee Jones, that's Tommy Lee Jones. I mean, he's a very quiet, brooding guy. I met him when I was working. I, I got one job in Hollywood, one job. And that was as a production assistant working for my girlfriend's father. Arnold Copelson on a movie that he produced called Firebirds, starring Nicolas Cage and Tommy Lee mm -hmm. Jones and Sean Young. It was about the yep, Apache yep. attack helicopters. And I, <laughs> I was crazy in those days. And anyway, I got invited to Tommy Lee Jones' Christmas party at his suite. And, you know, he was... He didn't say anything to anybody the whole entire night. He's just, you know, quiet, drinking his 
scotch on the rocks. And I go up to him and I say, you know, thank you so much for inviting me to the party. Do you have any advice for a young man like me who's, you know, just starting out in the movie business? And he goes, the only people who are bored are the people who are boring. Uh, but that's Tommy Lee Jones. You know, he's that's the kind of actor that he is on TV. Yeah. And then you got Nicolas Cage, who's like high energy, and he, he is a high energy person. So, yeah. I, but I yeah. think it, it. You know, there you can't really. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question because yeah, everybody, individual. everybody's yeah. putting on. I got it a lot, so I had to throw it in there because yeah. people are curious, like. You know, is Keanu Reeves really like Keanu Reeves? You know what I mean? Like, is Martha Stewart, like the per- persona, are they really like that? You know, is Dr. Oz really like Dr. Oz? Dr. Oz is the smartest guy, and he cares so much. What an amazing man. I mean, he is the American dream. He really, truly is. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you whatever you may think about him and whatever advantages he has had in his life, the guy went to Harvard, he went to medical school he has an mba from wharton he became the star of his own syndicated daily television show he's worth gazillions of dollars he made that nobody yeah. gave that to him he made it and i know he yeah. got a big break from oprah but he still had to do the work and he still had to Absolutely. make it happen he's i love that guy he's amazing <laughs> i love you know what i i, I can feel you smiling when you talk about these people and it's so nice it's so nice to hear that you have had so many great experiences with people and so many teachers and mentors i don't even like them all i don't even <laughs> like them all i mean i'm really not a fan look i've met five presidents of the united states george hw bush jimmy carter bill clinton donald trump and joe biden you can decide which ones i like okay but <laughs> it really doesn't matter it doesn't matter. I don't know. It doesn't matter what you think about their politics. Each of those guys was genius enough to become yeah. the president of the USA, and I've yeah, learned absolutely. from each of them. And you know, when I met George Bush, it was a total accident. I was in a kitchen. You know, I have a, a gourmet food company. I was visiting a client at 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Okay. And he and I were the only ones. He was the executive chef of the Danielle Boulou Brasserie at the Wynn Resort in Las Vegas, a multi-million dollar restaurant. And this French immigrant who barely can speak English is the top chef at that place. And I'm standing there. You know those little wand mixers that you can froth up your cappuccino? He's got one the size of a baseball bat and he's mixing a vat of lobster bisque. And I go, Philippe, why are you doing this at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning? You have 20 sous chefs who could do this job for you. Yeah, Why don't yeah. you have somebody do it? He goes, because I love it. This is my métier. <laughs> and just at that moment, these three guys cruise through the kitchen out of the back bowels of the Wynn Resort. They come cruising through the kitchen in suits and ties. And it's two Secret Service agents and George H.W. Bush. And they're just looking around, minding their own business. And I go, Philippe. That was the president of the United States. He goes, really? He had no idea. I go running after George Bush and I see him there and he's like looking out. If you've ever been to the steakhouse or the brasserie at the Wynn, it has these beautiful views of the Wynn Lake. 
He's looking at the lake and taking it all in. I go up to the Secret Service agent. And look, I told you, it's all about improving yourself. And whenever I get a chance to study with somebody great, I pull out my credit card and I sign up. And a few years earlier, I had signed up for this class with a guy named Mark Victor Hansen. He was one of the guys who created Chicken Soup for the Soul. Mm. And one of his recommendations was, when you're out in the world, you should always carry an instant camera in your pocket because you never know if you're gonna run into someone famous that you'll wanna get a picture with. This was before the iPhone, before yeah, cell yeah. phones had cameras and I just happened to have my little digital Sony camera in my pocket and I said to the Secret Service agent, can I get a picture with the president? He goes, sure. I go up to him and I say, sir, I voted for you, sir. Now, I had <laughs> voted for Reagan, but I never actually voted for H.W. Bush, but I wanted him to like me. And he goes, thank you, young man. And I said, uh, can I get a picture, sir? Sure, sure. So we get the picture. And then I had, this was when it was like, I don't know where I came up with this stuff, but I did. I said, do you have any advice for a young man? And he goes, I love that. well, that's a big question, but I guess you have to keep doing the things you love in life. Ooh. Now, in the photo, which is in the book, all in Wisdom yeah. of the Men, there's pictures of me and everybody. Every single person yeah. in the book, from Ringo Starr to Mike Tyson to Martha Stewart, you'll see me and Oprah, everyone has pictures. And all five of these presidents. And in the picture of me and George Bush, if you look closely at George Bush's necktie, there are little parachute jumpers on parachutes on the tie. And everybody knows George Bush famously jumped out of an airplane with a parachute when he was 80 years old. That's what he loved doing, see? Yeah. You got to yeah. keep doing what yeah. you love in this life. And as I said, you may not like their politics, but they got something. There's something there to learn from Absolutely. every one of these Absolutely. presidents. I, I, I can't believe the time is up. I'm so sad. But I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, Thank you so much for coming on Let's Keep It Real. I really appreciate it. I am so pumped for people to listen to this. But before we go, tell us how to find you and get your book. The book, Wisdom of the Men, can be found exclusively on Amazon.com. You have to type in <laughs> Wisdom of the Men Clint Arthur. I know. I don't know why. Or if you type in Clint Arthur, you'll see all of my books on there. But that's where you yeah. get the book. And I understand that the audible version of the book is really good. The audio version. If you're like me and you have an audible membership, you probably have a whole stack of those audible yeah. credits. Yeah, yeah, Crack one off and get the audible and you'll really enjoy it. I perform the audible myself. And if you've enjoyed this interview, you'll definitely enjoy nine and a half hours of me performing my... Pulitzer-nominated Life's Work Masterpiece, Wisdom of the Men. And how can they find you if they want to come to one of your workshops or seminars? The workshops and seminars are at clint.com, C-L-I-N-T-T-T.com. Why three T's, Clint? Because one of my expert clients, see, I work with all kinds of authors, speakers, coaches, experts of every kind, and one of them yeah. was an expert in nameology, the science of Ooh. names. She invented that. And she said, oh, Clint, you know, I really wish you could add another T to the end of your name because the T's always end up on top. And I could oh. not get Clint with two T's.com, but I could get Clint with three T's.com. And I think it works pretty good because where do you find me? <laughs> I got it with the three T's.com. There you go. See? Yeah, I love it. 
All right, my let's keep it real. Come on. Did Clint with the three T's, <laughs> did he keep it real? Yes. You're going to want to share it, like it, rate it. We definitely appreciate it. And you know what I'm going to say? Until next time, toodles. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And remember, keep spreading the positive.